Good, get started. Okay. Well, what we want to do, let's stand. Uh, we're going to have an invocation and we'll have the Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, today is my birthday, so I'll do the prayer. Okay. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father God, it is in the name of Jesus that we approach the throne of grace and mercy at this hour, asking, dear God, that you would open our minds to the training that we are here to receive on today and allow us to be able to apply that training in the most proper, dignified, and equitable way that we can, Father. Bless our city. Bless the residents, Father. Help us all to prosper according to your will for our lives. We thank you, dear God. You're such a good God. You're such a kind Father. You're an everlasting friend. You are our hope for tomorrow, and we lean and depend on you. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. For his sake we pray. Amen. Okay, may we do the Pledge of Allegiance in unison together. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. City Secretary, would you be so kind as to establish a quorum through the roll call? Mayor Barty. Present. Mayor Pro Tem Frank. Councilmember Holmes. Councilmember Jones, Councilmember Kinlaw, Councilmember Marks, Councilmember Moses. Here. You have a quorum, man. Thank you so kindly. And again, good morning to each of my colleagues here on council and to the staff and to the other members of our community who may be here or who even may be joining in through the streaming system. We're here today for a training. The training is regarding the economic development bylaws and Texas law regarding city council oversight, city council's role as far as oversight and also the responsibilities of the city council in regards to the economic development cooperation that we have here in the city of Port Arthur. At this time, I'd like to call our attorney, city attorney, Val Tizano, who will in turn introduce to our trainer for today. Good morning. I don't, I don't know if your mic is on. Yeah, there we go. Okay, I'll just hold it. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Uh, I just wanted to briefly introduce our speaker and again thank him for coming. Um, Frank Garza is here today from San Antonio uh, working with us and we greatly appreciate him coming. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of his extensive bio. Frank Garza has extensive public and employment law experience in representing municipalities and governmental entities in legal matters involving business and operation. He has represented clients in litigation, appellate and administrative matters before various county, district and appellate courts in Texas. He currently serves as city attorney for the cities of Balcone Heights, 
Helotes, Hondo, Carn City, Kyle, Omos Park, Rockwall, and Terrell Hills. Additionally, he provides legal guidance to Alamo Valley, Alamo Heights, Leon Valley, EDC, Richmond, San Antonio, and Windcrest. Mr. Garza serves as general counsel to various other governmental entities, including Brook Development Authority, Port Authority of San Antonio, City of San Antonio Civil Service Commission, City of San Antonio Fire and Police Civil Service Commission, Alamo Area Metropolitan uh, Policy Organization, Via Transit Authority, and several others. <laughs> Prior to joining the firm in 2002, he served as city attorney to the city of San Antonio for seven years. As city attorney, he managed the city's legal department, which included 125 employees, 54 being attorneys. He was directly responsible for advising the city manager, city council, staff members, and other city officials regarding uh, legal duties relevant to their office. He previously served as assistant city attorney for the city of Dallas, as, whereas he provided legal representation to all city departments in the city of Dallas. During his tenure with Dallas, he developed several policies relating to sexual harassment, drug testing, and related policy. And he's been lead counsel for over 10 employment and civil rights jury trials. During his time, uh, during this time, he also argued on six occasions to the Fifth Circuit of Appeals and twice to the State Court of Appeals and uh, writing briefs to the United States Supreme Court. He was on the board of the city uh, Texas City Attorneys Association, serving as president of the board in 2013, as well as president of the University Hospital Foundation and other boards. Um, just to paraphrase uh, his on his extensive background, he was educated at the Catholic University Law School in Washington, D.C., and also received a bachelor's from Trinity University. And we're just uh, very happy to have him here. And at this time, I want to introduce Frank Garza. Thank you so much. And Thank I'll just you, turn it over to you. When someone uses the word extensive, I think that means old nowadays. Um, and it's funny because uh, Val, when she reached out to me, said she had seen my Texas City Attorney's paper on, and it was entitled, Can't We Just Get Along? And it was between the cities and EDCs. And it was really mostly aimed at the attorney. Conflict of interest. Can an, one attorney represent both the, the cities? City, city of uh, the city and its EDC. And what I was trying to discuss in that presentation was that if everybody's getting along, yes, they can easily represent both the city and the EDC. And that happens quite often in your smaller cities. But when there are conflicts, that same lawyer cannot represent both because of the potential conflicts between the two. And that's what I was, that's what my presentation was with regards to that. Um, I've represented uh, EDCs of small cities, large cities. Um, I've represented cities, both large, small, both home rule and general law. And I'll tell you that regardless of the size, at one time or another, there will be issues between the city and their EDC. Whether it's di uh, different plans or goals that the city sees that they would like to accomplish that the EDC would like to accomplish, or a project where one council supported that project, there's now a change 
in that council and they no longer support that project and they're trying to communicate to that to the EDC. And those are the types of typical issues. So I'll go ahead and start the presentation and I'll ask that you can ask questions at any time or you can wait to the end. I've taught at St. Mary's University for 18 years, so I'm used to students and others raising their hand while I'm talking, and that's fine. Um, so either way, I'm, I'm fine. So let's go ahead and start off with a little bit of background. What is an EDC? An EDC is a nonprofit corporation established by a city. The purpose is to support economic development for that city. And the reason the legislature created economic development corporations as a tool for cities is because there are certain things that a political governmental entity cannot do that a private corporation can do. And an EDC is actually a private corporation, but the very important thing that EDCs have to remember is that they're using sales and tax dollars, which means they must be accountable for the use of those sales and tax dollars. Um, there are two types of EDCs. Port Arthur has a type A EDC. And these focus on creating jobs, whether industrial, research, military distribution centers, or headquarters. You're not required to have public hearings to spend dollars. No process for voters to petition for election to approve projects, and they're really controlled by Chapter 502 and Chapter 504 of the Government Code. Now, Type B EDCs have the same authority as Type A's, but they also have additional. They can promote business, offer other types of incentives, retail, commercial, service, recreational. They can even do programs using sales tax dollars to assist with regards to education. You may have heard of the city of San Antonio's pre-K for SA. That was a type B corporation that did, created that poor percentage of sales tax. However, it does require public hearings process for approval to spend dollars, allows voters to petition for election to approve projects, and it's controlled by chapter 502 and 505 of the government code. So, EDCs across Texas. The, as I mentioned earlier, an economic development corporation is not a political subdivision. Its board of directors are not public officers. As you know, a council member can also not serve as a trustee of that same school board because of conflict of interest and incompatible goals between the two possibly. A EDC member could serve because they're not considered a public officer and therefore could, you could actually appoint someone from the school board to serve on the EDC. It would not be a conflict under the, the state constitution. Again, the EDC is a separate entity formed and filed with the Secretary of State with bylaws and a board of directors to oversee the nonprofit corporation. The city, through its bylaws, approves projects because the EDC is using city and use, sales and use tax. Again, depending on how much control the city would like to have over its EDC will be dependent on those bylaws. Um, the city, through its bylaws, determines how much or how little control it will have over the EDC. I have one city that I represent 
that has total control over its EDC. That EDC cannot spend more than $1,000 without council approval. Why have an EDC if it's going to have that much control? Now, I have another EDC city that adopts its annual budget and then lets them go. And as long as they stay within that budget, the city has absolutely no say with anything else. To my personal belief, those are two extremes. I think because they are using sales and use tax dollars, the city, because who's going to get blamed for the, how they use those dollars? City council, the elected officials. They're your city and use sales tax dollars. So I honestly believe it should be somewhere closer to the middle. Not where you're overseeing every single item, because that's why you have that board. But at the same time, not total independence where you have no idea how they're spending those dollars. Again, the EDC works to benefit the city, and it best works when the interests of both the EDC and the city council are aligned. But let me tell you, disputes do arise. It is not uncommon for disputes to arise. EDC board membership, board members and terms, the number of board members and terms are governed by statute. The city council appoints the board members to the EDC board. By law, city council can remove members of the EDC board with or without cause. Depends on what you put in your bylaws. Port Arthur has no cause. You can remove board, port uh, EDC members at any time. EDC board of directors are, again, not public offices. Purpose of common law and compatibility and dual service is allowed. Now, state law also requires training. Now, I will be very honest with you. Not every EDC does the first portion of this training. Type A corporations are required to have at least once every two years. The following persons associated with the corporation shall attend a training seminar. And I don't know if Val knew this, but it says the municipal attorney, administrator, or clerk of the city that authorized the creation of the corporation must get training once every two years. But if Val was not the city attorney at the time the corporation was created, the law is gray as to whether she has to do the training or not. It, the law says the attorney, when it was established, I will be very honestly, very few EDCs follow that A. Because why is the manager, the city manager or city administrator, why is the city clerk, why is the city attorney getting the training? It, the second portion is it requires the corporation's executive director or other person responsible for the corporation's daily administration to also get training once every two years. That is much more common and occurring. And that training is offered by the Texas Economic Development Corporation. What I also see is that a lot of economic development corporation in their bylaws require training for their board members to also receive training. But it's not required by state law. These two are what is required by state law. City Council Oversight of EDC. Again, it depends on what's in your bylaws. City Council can approve EDC programs and annual budget. 
Approval can be general or very specific. Depends on the bylaws. And I gave you those two examples of one city that clearly requires approval of any expenditure over a thousand, while another one lets them do what they want as long as they stay within the approved annual budget. City Council annually reviews and approves the annual budget, which is a must, both under state law and in most bylaws that I've seen, does require that annual approval. City Council is entitled to access the EDC books and records at all time, but again, depends on what you have in your bylaws. What I see is the most common is that an EDC is required to have an audit, and that audit is provided to the city. I've also seen where the EDC's audit is made part of the city's audit, so that they're both public records and public information with regards to the, that report as to their financial status and the expenditure of dollars. As I mentioned earlier, there are conflicts, and I'm gonna give some examples of the most common conflicts that I see. City staff also being EDC staff. Now my understanding is that is not an issue here. But I have seen where city staff are performing functions for the EDC. The question is, who pays them? The EDC or the city? I've also seen where EDC staff paid by EDC doing city duties. The best way to approach this is to have an agreement between the EDC and the city if they're going to be doing things jointly. For example, even if your city is providing HR services, pay services, on making sure the employees are paid, having benefits, if city staff is doing that for your EDC, there should be an agreement between the EDC and the city to provide those services. And it should be approved annually so that it's clear what services are being provided and who's paying for those services. If a city is performing services for an EDC, that EDC should be paying the city for those services, because why? The city is prohibited by constitution for giving gift of its services. They must be paid for their services. So there should be an agreement between the two. Competing views of proposed projects. As I mentioned earlier, I have seen where a council and EDC are in line with a project, the council's changed or the EDC's changed, and there's no longer dual support. One is supporting and the other one is not supporting. And again, it comes to case-by-case -case basis. What well, was there a contract signed? If the EDC signed a contract because they had council support and they've now lost council support on the same project, what happens to that contract? I have a city in the San Antonio area that had very similar project where they signed a project with a developer for an economic development project that was coming into their city. It was going to cause extreme traffic issues when there was no planning for the development of the roads, just the project. So council started losing its um, enthusiasm for that project and were no longer financially supporting it as was required by contract. City was sued. The EDC was sued. City lost because it breached the contract. So while the council may lose support, you also have to understand that if there is a contract that the previous council approved, you must still comply with that contract unless you can show that the developer breached 
that contract. And that's always an issue that while there may have lost support, what was committed to in writing by the previous council and by that previous EDC. Other issues that I've seen occur is projects that are approved by the EDC but never reviewed or approved by the council. Much depends again on your bylaws. And we'll go into a little bit more detail about what your bylaws state. But I have some cities, as I mentioned earlier, the one that approves the annual budget and never gets involved, their bylaws do not require them to approve their projects. As long as they stay within budget, they're fine. Cost, uh, contracts signed by ADC that are not presented and not approved by council. Some cities have bylaws that do not require council approval of their contracts. I have mentioned the one that requires approval of any expenditure of any amount, I mean, that short that's amount. So again, much depends on what you have in your bylaws. I've also seen issues between the city agreeing to provide some infrastructure improvements to help the EDC attract businesses. But when the council loses or the EDC loses its attraction, what happens to those infrastructure improvements that were, were planned? Another issue that happens is can city dollars be used to support an EDC? In addition to sales tax revenue, a city can use city funds to support an EDC. But you must have a contract granting the use of public funds for those economic development purposes. And we call those the Chapter 380 agreements because it's found in the law under Chapter 380 of the local government code. Law is very clear that the funds must be used for the diversification of the economy to either reduce unemployment or underemployment or expansion of commercial activity. If public funds are granted annually to your EDC, you should have a contract approving those annually and you should approve that contract annually because the, the amount you give will change annually depending on your budget. Can city staff be used to support a VDC? The answer is yes, but again, must be compensated by the EDC. I have one city where they have some city employees that perform EDC staff work and some EDC staff work that perform some city functions. So that agreement basically states that it's a wash, that for the services being performed by EDC employees and the services being performed by the city, neither side has to pay the other because it balances out between the two, okay? But I have one city where the city secretary, finance director, HR perform a lot of services for their EDC. The EDC, would have to pay someone to do that if they did not have the city to provide those services. So their agreement on an annual basis pays the city for those services. Because again, constitutionally, the, Texas can, the city could not provide those services at no cost. Okay? Issuing bonds. Can a city issue bonds in support of an EDC project? The answer is yes, if it's sales and use tax dollars. 
but a contract, again, needs to be created between the EDC and the city that the EDC would be responsible towards that project debt. Your financial advisors, your bond council are going to require these documents. If it's EDC revenue that's being used, but the city's issuing the bonds, because under your bylaws, city must approve issuing of these bonds, you're going to want an ironclad agreement that basically states it's their revenue that are going to be paying these bonds. The contract would need to define the responsibilities of the parties. Finance costs include timeline for debt service payments and identify where EDC funds are coming from and how to be used to pay the debt. Now, one question's asked a lot of times, can city property tax revenues be used to pay backup EDC project bond payments? And the answer is no. Only the proceeds of sales and use tax imposed can be used to fund <coughs> EDC projects paid for by bonds. You may not use property tax revenues to support bonds to support your EDC. Now, a question is asked, well, can we do property tax bonds to build roads and infrastructure that will eventually benefit the EDC? The answer is yes, because those are city improvements. And you're using property tax revenues for city infrastructure improvements. They may eventually assist your EDC because they have land out there and that infrastructure is going to make that land more marketable. But you're not using property tax dollars to benefit the EDC. You're using it for the public infrastructure that has the collateral of, uh, uh, advantage of also improving that EDC property. Again, the proceeds of sales and use tax may be used to pay the cost of projects and pay the principal interest and other costs related to bonds for other obligations issued by type B or type A corporation. So let's talk specifically about, yes, sir. Excuse me. Number two there. Uh, now, it's printed and it says type B. You said type B or it's type A? Type A. It's both. Oh, it can both? be either. Okay. Yes, sir. I was sir. just reading what, yeah. okay. I'm good. I'm good. So let's specifically talk about the Port Arthur EDC bylaws. Your mission statement makes it very clear that the EDC is to work and act on behalf of the city for its economic development purposes, to expand new, develop new, existing, and expanded businesses. So. I have seen many bylaws that have a similar mission statement, but then don't have language in their bylaws that give the council any ability to authorize or control. Your bylaws, in my opinion, make it very clear that it is this city council that has ultimate authority over your EDC and their projects and their contracts. The purpose of eight, the bylaws make it clear that the purpose of aiding, assisting, and acting on behalf of the city of Port Arthur, again, to promote, assist, and enhance economic development, to organize, to establish, acquire, lease as lessee or lesser, purchase, construct, improve, enlarge, equip, repair, operate, or maintain, and all improvements necessary and desirable to the promotion, development, and maintenance of economic development projects. 
In my opinion, your bylaws make it clear that the EDC cannot do it alone. So, Article 6. To the extent that the bylaws state approval by the city is required, that approval by the city has to be done by resolution, order, or ordinance, or a motion duly adopted by the city council. A letter from the city manager approving a project for the EDC is not sufficient. It requires council action to approve anything where your bylaw says must be approved by the city requires council action, not city staff action. Article 7 with Board of Directors. Again, it's clear that the board shall consist of seven members. Your bylaws make it clear that they must live in the city and shall have resided in the city for at least one year prior to the appointment. Must be a qualified voter and at least 18 years of age and shall not be a member on any board or committee of the city. I actually have some cities that They've gone back and forth, but right now the most recent is they require two council members to also serve on the EDC. That's how they try to keep control of their EDC. And depending on the relationship, they'll remove that requirement of two board members, council members, or they'll put it right back in. It just goes back and forth, depending on who's the elected officials at the time. Hey, Frank, before you go on, uh, so you're saying this particular bold item so it's appointment by the council of that person that's on the EDC that can't be a member of any other committee? That's correct. That's what your bylaws require. Now, your directors shall be appointed by the respective council member uh, whose position corresponds to the, to the board position. So each council member has an appointee, but it still must be approved by the full council. Um, May not, again, may not be a city employee or city official. If a board member of the EDC becomes a candidate for elective office, their resignation is effective immediately. Each term is for three years or for remainder of unexpired term. And very clearly, your bylaws may be removed at any time by the city council. I do have some boards and commissions that require for cause. That is a very difficult standard at times to meet to remove someone for cause. It also requires hearings for removal and so forth. If you were to ask me which is the best, for convenience. Why? Because if a council member changes before that person's terms expired and they would like to have their own representative on that EDC, then it's simply a you can remove them for convenience and point your own individual to the EDC. Under Section 801 of the bylaws, the board is required to develop an overall economic development plan for the city, which shall include and set forth short-term goals, which the board deems necessary to accomplish with its overall economic development plan. Such plan shall be approved by the city council. The plan has to include an economic development strategy accountability to the citizens and to the city council of all tax monies expended, the annual work plan outlining the activities, tasks, projects, and programs for the board during the upcoming fiscal year. Such annual plan must again be approved by the council. 
Also under this section, the board hires the director with the approval of the city council. They could not hire an executive director if that person was not brought for council approval. Now the bylaws are clear. The EDC board can remove the, the director, executive director. That does not require council approval. Your bylaws do not require council approval for the removal of the executive director, just the hiring of the executive director. Section 805, again, your EDC is required to make reports to the city council. Again, a detailed annual report to the council. The annual report should include all expenditures, all accomplishments, policies and strategies followed by the EDC. They are required to report all activities of the board related to economic development. And the annual report shall be made to the council before December 31st of each year. They're also required to have a semi-annual report. Again, they're required to report accomplishments to date, anticipated short-term challenges with recommendations to meet those short-term challenges, any long-term issues, recap of all budgeted expenditures to date, and a recap of budgeted funds left unexpended. They're also required to provide monthly activity reports of all meetings of the board and committees created by the board. This is quite a bit of reporting that your EDC is required to do to the city council. I have seen this type of reporting with other bylaws. It is very rare that an EDC is able to meet all the reporting requirements that are in the bylaws. But they are required. That's why they have a staff to provide such reports to the city council as your bylaws require. Why do you say, why, why did you say that? Mike, turn your mic on, please. Why did you say that it is difficult for them to, to do, but it uh, is required? A why, lot of, what makes it difficult? A lot of the EDCs that I have do not have sufficient staff to do all the reporting. I have seen annual and semi-annual and even quarterly. The monthly reports is where I've seen when they have limited staff to be able to provide those monthly reports. More common are quarterly reports and more common are the semi-annual and annual reports. It is sometimes difficult depending on the amount of staff that an EDC have. Where I've seen the problem is your smaller cities with your smaller EDCs and they're using city staff and EDC staff intertwined that it's difficult for them to meet the monthly reporting requirement. Your larger cities with an independent EDC with their own staff, it's much easier for them to meet those type of reporting. But I've also seen when administrations change, whether it's at the EDC, at the city, where people forget some of the reporting requirements and they have to be reminded of what's included in their bylaws. Thank you. Article 819, it states very clearly the council shall pro provide oversight to all board activities in accordance with state law. The council shall require that the EDC be responsible to it for the proper discharge of its duties. Why again? Because they're using sales and use tax dollars. All policies for program administration shall be submitted to council approval 
all policies. And it says, all projects proposed to the board, by the board, shall be submitted also to the council for review and approval. The board shall determine its policies of direction within the limitations of the duties imposed by applicable laws, the articles of incorporation, these bylaws, contracts entered with the city, and budget and fiduciary responsibilities. Section 10.09, one of the ways that the city is able to know what's going on with their EDC is by having ex officio members. In your case, 10.09 requires the manager or his designee and the mayor or his designee to attend all meetings of the PAEDC, including executive, private, or public meetings. I have seen where EDCs try to keep the mayor or the manager out of the executive sessions. No. Your bylaws make it very clear that while they're ex officio members, they also have a right to attend the closed and open sessions of the EDC board meetings. They don't have the power to vote, and they don't count toward a quorum, but they are able to attend all parts of the meeting. Again, their attendance, your bylaws state, are for the purpose of ensuring that all information about the meetings are accurately communicated to the council and to satisfy the council's obligation to control the powers of the EDC. Budget. Uh, under Article 11.03, a budget for the next fiscal year shall be submitted to and approved by the EDC board and the city council. The EDC is required to provide the city manager a copy of the budget so that the manager can provide the budget as part of its annual budget to the city council. So the EDC is required to meet the city's budget schedule in order to be able to, for the manager to provide the council a draft of their budget. Again, the budget is included in the annual budget presentation to the city council. The President's Secretary of the EDC shall execute contracts with the board has approved and authorized to be executed. The board may appropriate, uh, by appropriate resolution, authorize any other officer of the EDC to enter into contracts. But again, all contracts under 11.04 will be subject to approval by the, con by the City Council. Again, all contracts. Now, some contracts, I mean, depending on if they're using it for a printer, they enter into a contract for a printer at the EDC. Literally, that contract would have to come to city council for approval. It says all contracts. Personally, I would prefer to see any administration contracts for like that, printers, supplies, be included in the budget and approved by the budget, and that way they don't have to come to city council for approval. But if they're approving, if they're approving any independent contract, the EDC board, under your bylaws, they must be brought to the city for approval. I definitely would put those on the consent agenda. Again, uh, with regards to bonds, any bonds issued by the EDC shall be in accordance with the statute governing the EDC, and again, they must be approved by the city council.
appropriations and grants. The EDC shall have the power to request and accept, subject to the approval of the City Council, any appropriation, grant, contribution, donation, or other form of aid from the federal government, the state, any political subdivision, or municipality, or any other source. So if the, if the EDC is receiving some COVID relief funds, and it's specifically just to the EDC for economic development purposes, they can't not accept those unless approved by the City Council. Section 1113 makes it very clear. If it's a CDBG grant or any type of funds that they're going to receive, those grants, those appropriations must come to the City Council for approval. Under Article 13.03, the EDC may employ a Director of Economic Development, again, subject to the approval of the Council. The director of the EDC shall serve as the chief executive officer of the EDC and shall be charged with the responsibility of carrying out the EDC program as adopted and planned by, by the board. The director employs all personnel of the EDC and oversees all administration functions of the EDC. The director and the EDC employees are not city employees. They're EDC employees. Now, you may have a contract that their benefits package is, will be similar to the city's and that the HR will administer their benefits package. That does not make them city employees. They are EDC employees under the bylaws. Okay. Well, Frank, I, I, so if they are EDC employees and they are util, utilizing um, our HR department, so when we talk about disciplinary actions, who do they go through to, to rectify that situation. I, I need a clear answer on that one. Okay. Right. The way the bylaws are written, and I, I know Val has told me that um, she's asked my office to prepare an HR policy for the EDC, because currently, right now, the way the bylaws are written, it is the EDC director who's the ultimate. He's basically like their city manager, and all those EDC employees report to the EDC director. Okay? If and these are issues that happen at a lot of the EDCs with 10 to 12 employees. What happens if they have an issue with the EDC director? Mm -hmm. Okay. Currently, what I would recommend is that they be allowed to go to the chair of the board because the board oversees that EDC director. And if they're having issues with that EDC director, then it should be the chair of the board, and the chair would then report it to the full board, any issues that come forward. But the way your bylaws are currently written, they make it very clear that the EDC employees are not city employees. And under your city charter, your city manager and the eight would not have any ability to oversee those employees. So I've seen most cities that have EDCs of this size where they are truly independent. The contract between the city and the EDC to provide them the payroll services, the HR services, the benefits, that's why the EDC pays for the city for those services. TMRS, my understanding, allows for some of those employees to be part of the TMRS package. Okay, But again, that's strictly by agreement between the EDC and the city to allow that to occur. Sir, I have a question. 
in my opinion, because they're not city employees, they should be filed with the chair so that the chair could work with the board and their outside counsel to handle any grievance file. But, but that chair is not making the decision. No. It would be the board. The, correct. That is correct. Okay. The chair would not have the ability to make a decision alone without the board agreeing to what that decision should be. Frank, can I ask a question? So, but under our current bylaws, it, it's silent on that. That's so correct. That and that's no why we need that HR that's policy. That's correct. Because currently it's silent. Your silent. bylaws do not state. And, and I'll be honest with you, most bylaws do not address what happens if there's a complaint against. It just identifies that the EDC director is responsible for those employees. That's where an HR policy for that EDC comes into play. So based on our In reading your bylaws, the way I would handle it, because the bylaws are clear that these employees are not city employees and they all work for the EDC director, because the EDC director works for the board, then it's the board's responsibility right now, the way your bylaws are written, to work with their outside counsel to handle any complaints or grievances. But it would have to be the board with their outside counsel, because right now, all you have is your bylaws that state that the employees report to the EDC director. It doesn't have the HR policy as to what happens. And it clearly makes it, makes it clear that they're not city employees, so therefore I would argue that the city's personnel policy does not apply. They're not city employees. So the logic as outside counsel in dealing with these issues, it's an issue for the board to handle. If it's a complaint that's been filed against the director, it's an issue for the board to handle in conjunction with their, with their attorney. And that's why it's important, in my opinion, that you have an agreement between the EDC and the city as to what's being provided. If the city's providing HR services to that EDC, that agreement should say that the EDC has access to those documents. If you don't have such an agreement, then I would probably agree that you need to put it in writing of what you need in order for the city to officially give you the documents. Um, but. That's where an agreement comes strongly into play between an EDC and city to outline specifically what's going to be provided. I've, I've provided Val recently a draft agreement. What needs to be um, put into place are the specifics. What specifically does, will the city provide EDC? How much will the EDC pay the city? And what goals and responsibilities for both sides? Because I do know that I do have other EDCs that rely on the city 
to maintain their records, to do all their health benefits, to do all their payroll issues and so forth. But it's also clear that those records, while they are maintained and controlled by the city, the EDC also has access to those records when required to do their services. One of the things that the rules do also state under 1303, the director develops policies and procedures for the corporation, including financial accounting, purchasing policies, and those two must be approved by the board and city council. I would probably argue this, that whatever HR policy the EDC board approves for its employees, because it includes issues dealing with financial, accounting, that that HR policy will eventually need to come to the city council also for approval. Final part of it here, the director shall develop policies um, where there's, especially with the purchasing part of it, purchasing and procurement, it normally comes to my desk that uh, sometimes there is a disengagement or a difference in opinion um, of interpretation as far as those are concerned. Could you provide some sort of clarification for us? When I look at the bylaws under 1303, it, in my opinion, makes it very clear that any policies dealing with purchase and procurement, those deal with financial, those deal with accounting, would require city council approval. Not just EDC board approval, but they would require city council approval as well. Does that also mean that the EDC has to follow the city's procurement policy? No, sir. It depends on the policy the council approves for the EDC. I, most of my EDCs require a similar procurement plan, um, but w while you're also using sales tax dollars, you are required to still follow some state provisions because they're still tax dollars. So it's always safer to utilize the city's procurement policy because that's going to be in compliance with state law. But what if they were to get a grant from Valero Corporation? These are not tax dollars. These are private dollars that Valero Foundation is giving to your EDC. They're not sales tax dollars, so you would not have to follow the state procurement in the expenditure of those dollars, but you would still want them to use some type of procurement. So that's why it's important to have also your own procurement policy because if they're not state tax dollars, they're not having to follow state law and you want them to at least use your, their policy or the city's policy. I've seen some EDCs that clearly just state we will comply with the city's procurement policy and the expenditure of dollars. And they don't have their own separate procurement policy because they're just going to simply follow the city's procurement policy. You're correct. I think that's the easiest way. 
to follow the city's procurement policy. Because, again, while the state law has certain requirements that you must follow when you're using state tax dollars, if they're private dollars, that state law no longer applies. So you want to make sure that they're following some type of procurement. And it's much easier if it's just simply the city's procurement because that's what the city's familiar with. And I've seen a lot where it is dependent on the city's finance department or uh, purchasing department that issues the, the procurements for that EDC anyway. So they're following the policy. So it's usually that's the easiest way. So possible solutions. If your EDC and city need to work closer together, joint workshop, and I'm told you have one tomorrow. <laughs> so a joint workshop by EDC board and council to determine EDC goals and objectives and to outline any issues. Quarterly updates. I've seen this be so successful between the EDC director and chair of the city and the chair, and they come to the city council on a quarterly basis during executive sessions. And they provide the council, here are the development, here are the projects we're working on. Here's the potential businesses we have coming in. This is where we're going to need assistance with maybe some public infra infrastructure improvements or maybe a, a grant or some type of tax abatement that only the council can approve. So they have quarterly meetings, again, in executive session because they're all economic development aspects of it. And so they're able to jointly work and they know on a quarterly basis whether or not to continue something because council supports it or they know maybe that's not where we need to go because we're not getting council support on that. So I've seen quarterly meetings work very well. I've also seen quarterly meetings between the mayor and the manager and the EDC chair and the EDC director. The only concern I have with that is there are times where the rest of the council is left in the dark. And that's why the quarterly meetings are also very helpful. But there are times where you can't call a 72-hour meeting and the, the four of them need to get together. That works. But they have to then be able to go back and report to the council at the next council meeting or so forth as to the issues. I also think it's very important that there be an annual review of bylaws and policies to update those bylaws and policies. Things change. The economy changes. People change. And so that's why those bylaws need to be reviewed annually and made a determination as to whether or not it makes sense or not make sense. Um, do we need as much control? Do we need those monthly reports? Can't we just do it quarterly? And so that's why it's important that you, know, you annually review and look at those bylaws to see if anything needs to change. With that, I'll be more than happy to answer any questions you may have. Um, I know I went through that kind of quick, um, but I'd be more than happy to answer any questions. Any any questions from our participants in the audience or someone? Okay, okay. Can you come up to the mic, please, uh, Mr. Peter? That's going to help us out. Yeah. So you had mentioned about property taxes. Does that not also um, apply to the water bills? We had talked about we can't that the city council can't use property taxes to uh, issue bonds, issue bonds. does that also apply to the water bills too? I don't know about water bills. I mean, water bills that's collected, monies that's collected through the city for water and sewer. Oh, revenues? Yes. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Those dollars, water revenues and 
sewer revenues have to go back to the water and sewer systems for infrastructure and keep those. They could not use that, those for economic development. Right. And in the case of the city, those are enterprise funds. Correct. Yes. And, and those enterprise funds usually have to be used to help support repairs That's and right. improvements to those so, systems. And, yes. Correct. Mr. Mayor. So, go, go ahead. Uh, real quick, uh, let's go back to, to uh, you said city employees and EDC employees, they're, they're, they can sometimes be a wash on how they're getting paid. So explain that little piece to me. What budget would it be coming out of if 50, I would assume 50% of duties is from both entities? Right. And I'll give you an example. I have one city that the EDC employees, there, there's four official EDC employees. They're also doing city duties, not related at all to their EDC responsibilities. So I explained to the city that those EDC employees that are providing city services must be compensated. The city must compensate the EDC because the EDC is paying their full-time salary, but they're providing city services that are not related to EDC matters. So the city responded by saying, but we have a city secretary who's posting all of their agendas, doing all of their minutes, um, putting the recordings up online. We have the financial officer doing their payroll. We have HR doing their benefits. So because the EDC employees providing city services, city employees were providing city services. That contract makes identified the services being performed by both sides and that neither side needed to pay the other because it equaled in value as to what both sides were providing. So that's what I meant by that is that an employee providing dual services for two different entities, one employee. Okay. Yep. Go ahead, Mr. Oh, okay, come right on. And then I'll, I'll come after him. Um, in regards to the responsibility that comes to job descriptions, performance evaluations, and things of that nature, what, what your recommendation would be, how would, what would you recommend that be written into the job description for an evaluation for merit increases and things of that nature if you're doing the share roles and responsibilities as a swap for services because of the budgetary considerations that you just mentioned. How would that be viewed and or considered? The larger the EDC, the more independent they are and don't rely on city staff to provide them services. I have EDCs that are totally independent that they provide their own HR, they provide their own job descriptions, they do their own performance, they've identified all those things in their performance, in their HR policy. The issue is in your cities where the EDC is not totally independent. And that's where you have concerns. And I think that's one of the concerns Val mentioned to me is the fact that currently it is not clear who develops the job descriptions for the EDC employees. Who develops the performance criteria? How are they evaluated? They're not city employees, so you shouldn't be utilizing the city. Now, you can contract with the city to assist you in developing those job descriptions. You can contract with the city to assist you in outlining the process for performance evaluations. 
But those evaluations should only be, be done by the EDC staff and their supervisors because, again, your bylaws make it clear they're not city employees. Um, I think a clarification with regards to having an, your, the EDC's own HR policy, personnel handbook, and policy will clarify as to the process for job descriptions, clar clarify the process for performance evaluations and how those would be handled. I also think it's important that you clearly identify the grievance process in your EDC handbook so that make it clear that if it goes to the EDC chair, uh, executive director for handling of all her uh, complaints and grievances, but if it's against the EDC director, it has to identify the process as to where that employee is able to go if it's their supervisor or the person in charge as to what options they have to go. It clearly needs to identify those things. All right. Um, let me ask this question. Um, in regards to the types of EDCs, we are a, we are a type A, a. EDC. But I am told as well that we can have B and A and a B EDC as well. Are there any special nuances uh, from the you know from the particular perspective of how they operate together? Um, can the same um, uh, you talked about the council would have individuals on the EDC board? Would there be two separate boards uh, them operating? Do council members? Uh, sit on the B board. Talk about those special nuances of operating as an A and a B board. I would not recommend having two EDCs. What I would recommend is converting your type A to a type B. And the reason I would recommend that is because your type B has the same authority and same abilities as a type A. The only thing is you now with a type B have expanded the options of things that that EDC can do. Um, but I would not recommend because it becomes an administrative concerns and nightmare to have two separate EDCs. By converting an EDC, a type A to an e, a type B, you have the same authorities as a type A, you're just adding additional authorities. Now, there's also, because they have additional authorities, there's also little safeguards that you must have public hearings before spending dollars and you must have public hearings for, depending on the projects you're announcing. Um, but a type B, uh, while having more authority, has a little bit more oversight as well of that, that corporation. But I would not recommend creating a type A and type B. I would recommend simply converting your type A to a type B so it has the same authority. And so is that oversight that you talk about that is a little bit more oversight using that that verbiage, is that oversight the oversight of the community which requires those public hearings and the voters to petition for elections or is there a governmental oversight that is more no, uh, the, the oversight extent. I was talking about were the public hearings and the and the and the citizens being able to petition things. Mm -hmm. the, the, again, the council oversight will depend again on the bylaws they've established, and your bylaws currently have good oversight over your EDC. The public oversight is much more for Type Bs because they're able to use sales tax dollars for much more than just your typical economic development projects. Thank you, sir. I have a question. I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Um, when you convert 
um, over from a type A to a type B, do we have to dissolve the type A board? Uh, what 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 all is involved in going in, in all the projects? I've I've heard that and read that that you have to completely start over um, with a type B. So I want to make sure that I'm clear on that. Yeah, most cities simply file a brand new articles of the council approves creating the type B, and it goes through the process of adopting or submitting new articles of incorporation to the Secretary of State, adopting new bylaws. Most cities that I've seen simply continue the same members from the type A to the type B on their EDC board if they were, you know, if, um, unless they had issues. But most of them I see converting, just simply converting what they have as type A. You're, re you're right. It does require the filing of all new documents with both the state your articles of incorporation, council has to approve the new articles, council has to approve the new bylaws, identifying that they're now expanding their authority and going with a type B corporation. I've also heard that um, and read that the uh, board members now allow three council members to sit on that, on that type B board and also that um, they have voting rights as a council now. You're voting on a city council and now you're able to vote with the type B, as you said, on that board for projects under the Economic Development Corporation. Again, that would depend if your bylaws allow for council members to be part of the EDC board, then yes. It's allowed under state law, but it's not required under state law for council members to be on your EDC board. It will depend on how you write those EDC bylaws to allow for council members to also be on the EDC board. My last question. The, do, um, do we have to dissolve all the projects and the money funding the projects that were under a, a type A in order to become a type B? No, ma'am. You simply convert them from the type A corporation to be handled by the type B corporation. Okay. Thank you. Come on, come on up. Would you come up? Okay. Yeah. The question. The question. Excuse me. Excuse yeah. me. And I know you may not want to, you may not want to come to the mic, Ms. Smith, but we need to come to the mic because we, it's recorded. You need to state your name for you all have already spoken, but as a procedure, I'm very sorry. Come on up, Mr. Smith. No, come on. But you need to state your name first so that if, if anyone is listening or, or, or they look at this in the future, we're not trying to hide who you are. Okay. Name Dallas Smith. My question was, can a type A do some type B projects? The answer is if it's, no, if it's strictly a type B project, it can only be done by type B corporation. If it's a type A that are being done by both A's and B's, then the answer is yes. But a type B project cannot be done by a type A EDC corporation. Can I ask, I thought that could be done with voters approval, the way it's done. I think that's how we've done it. We've had, we've voters, done type B projects, but it's gone to the voters has, well, for their approval. Whether it's a type A or type B, it has to go to voter approval. Right. Correct. That's what I thought. We can do it that way. My question would be, in order for us to change it to a B, does it have to have citizen go out on a ballot to be voted? Only if you're changing the sales tax. If you're increasing the sales tax or doing something different with the sales tax, it would require approval of the voters. But converting your type A to type B would not require approval of the voters.
if you're keeping the same sales tax. Okay. And, and, and excuse me, no, uh, but I wanted to know, let you all know, I asked uh, our assistant to see if he can get a microphone, because, you know, we still have COVID and everybody's talking the same, Mike. We need to disinfect it. So, you know, I just want everybody to be safe. I don't have uh, your wife up here, but she has let me know that that's what we need to be doing. Okay. Uh, so he's going to see if he can get a mic, and we just want to be safe. I, I like the dialogue, but I want us to be able to come back if we have a meeting next month that you all will be safe and come be returned. And what she'll do, and, and, and if, you know, if, if you all have to have questions, we want participation. But we, we also, and you can just put it right there, attorney, and that if someone wants to speak, they can just get it. And now, I have, I have a, a, a question, uh, uh, and, maybe, and you can, uh, I'm trying, I want to be sure that I understood you correctly. You said uh, when we were talking about the subject of the type A, type B, uh, converting to a type B, if that would be the desire of the community here, or the council and, and the community, would be, your professional, uh, or from your professional uh, vantage point, just converting over to a B, and you are only increasing or enhancing what you can do as far as a, 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 a cooperation. And this is how I'm understanding it. Now, if you were to make the decision, say we want to type A and the type B, like you said, that may be a, a logistical nightmare because of the types of uh, requirements because you're trying to handle both types. But if we made the transition over to a type B, then besides, uh, well, well the, the, the cumbersome work would not be ours as a council. It would be an attorney, if you are the person hired or whatever, to create whatever documentation needs to be created to be uh, given to the uh, uh, Secretary of State, I, I think it is, and the Attorney General for approval. and. Uh, that transition can actually happen. What period of time, from your estimation, if that were something that we wanted to do or would consider, what you think a period of time would be before that total transition could actually be, be in effect? I would probably say six months. Okay. Because it will require you to review and create your new articles of incorporation that would be filed with the Secretary of State. Uh, a review and possible revisions to your bylaws for that type B. You want to make it very clear uh, with regards to the additional authorities and so forth. So usually, from what I've seen, it's about six months. About six months. And so up, up until, if, if, for instance, we know it, it was a decision here, but it wasn't decided until like January, uh, then it would be about June, uh, July. Next year, about this, you know, before it could actually come into effect, so you would continue to operate under the rules and, 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 and uh, well, bylaws that are already there, but the rules of the state as a type A until that actually occurs. And with projects and other things of that nature, you would begin projects under A, and they would transition to the type B with the contractual agreements, if they are contractual agreements. How would that affect, and I'm, if, I know a train wants to ask something, how would that affect something if we were to do it and you had a contract that was given under A, but now you're, tra you're transitioning to a B. Uh, how does that affect the contract and attendance in that contract? It would require agreement of both parties to convert it if there's any additional requirements and so forth. Because while it's still your EDC, it's now an EDC with additional, it's a type B. 
and therefore it does require certain changes and so forth. Right. And I need to double check because I'm trying to remember from the top of my head whether it does require an election of the citizens or not. Yeah, and that's what I was um, kind of looking at. And I think the way the proposition was written, for example, for us, we only adopted the 4A tax. So I think in our situation, you know, a lot of these, it depends, I think, the way, and the way our initial adoption was, was for 4A. Right. So I think in our so case, if we do go to four B, yeah, if we did the four B, we would have to. Go it to may the have voters. to require an election. Ours was written. You'd have to go to the voters. Some of them are written a little differently, I right. think. Mm -hmm. But I just in looking at ours, ours was written I, I just specifically at 4A. for four A. Okay. So based on that, I would probably require elections. So you're looking probably a little longer because you're only allowed to have an election in November and in May. So yeah. it may require a longer, a longer period of time. Right. Okay. That's what see, I'm okay. State, state your name, please. Well, Roosevelt Petrie. Thank you. Uh, I, I remember when we started, um, we had an election. And that's why I was asking to change it if we're going to have to have an election. Because I, I, re, I recall that we actually had an election. Yeah, you have to have to an election create to create an ABC mm -hmm. because of the sales tax use. But as Val mentioned, because it's so limiting that you were creating it, it specifically said you were creating a 4A, then you would have to have an election to do the 4B. 4B, yeah, okay. I mean, if it were to happen, right. then there, there's a lot of new things and over a period of time where you work yourself into being a B. If we remain where we are, then that's no problem. But if that consideration is actually would be uh, going into effect, I'm just asking, you know, what, uh, what we would be looking at. Right. And, and, and I see how it, it, it's, it's not a problem, and it's like a change with anything. There's going to be some bumps in the road. There's going to be some things that you have to uh, reacclimate uh, uh, yourselves to, and even the, uh, the administrative and operating procedures sort of changes. And, and, and be. One thing that, that I want to ask about Article 10.09, uh, uh, it was something I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative of the training today. I did learn that, not that I want to go to another meeting, okay? But just, you know, I never even was, I wasn't ever, I've, I've never been told I couldn't come to go to a meeting now, don't get me wrong, so I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I'm saying. City manager, maybe he didn't know, he never told me I could go. <laughs> I don't think he attends, you know, I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, uh, but from what, you know, what I see here lends itself to a better relational uh, position for the council and the board of the EDC. You know, if, if the mayor said, I like the part about my appointee, because I could ask any board member, I mean, any council member say, well, you can go this time, or, you, you know, uh, and that way they go in, and not to try to, you can't sway the board, you're not going in trying to control the board, and you certainly can't vote. But for information purposes, you are there, and you know, you know someone from this council would know. So I really appreciate that part, mm -hmm. and the part that I, I like the most because I would think when they would go in the executive session, I couldn't go in there because just they can't come in mind. <laughs> okay, so but it's the way this operates. I'd be able to go into the executive session now. Being the type of mayor that I am, I'm not going in and saying anything. I'm you know I'm just trying. I'm trying to hear what I can hear, you know, and, right. and maybe understand. And if there's a question, I can ask later. But uh, that tidbit of information 
I see the advantage of that. Some folk may look at it for some other reason if a person had, if I were a male that had some ulterior motives, well, that would be different. But I praise God that I don't have that, you know, even if I'm perceived as such. But I know that I can go, and uh, board members, you know, we may have somebody, whoever goes and say I sent them, that's who I sent. Yes, sir, Mr. Smith. And just state your name, please. Uh, my name is Christopher Smith. And look here, I want you to use the, the public mic. There you go. My name is Christopher Smith, and um, me and my fellow commissioners, we've had this conversation, and we're in full support of you guys being a part of this because this is a part of, one, creating the transparency that we need to have, two, to make sure we're talking in truth and honesty about what we're doing and our intent, as well as to get you guys support because a lot of the things that this, um, Mr. Garza has recommended, I fully agree with it because there's a lot of things that we do in EDC that has time-sensitive activities and time hacks and things of that nature that we need to take action on, and it may increase the frequency of how often we need to meet because for us to do things in concert with all the things we got in play and all the projects we got in play and all the things we need to act on, we're going to need uh, frequency and more meeting with you guys to make sure that we are acting on your behalf with the intent for what we're trying to do for the city with the actions that we want to do for the city. That's yep. all. Yep. No. And, 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 and I appreciate your remarks with that. And I want us to be able, when I'm saying us into some we'll discuss even on tomorrow, I think we have a meeting scheduled for tomorrow. Or don't we have an attorney? Yeah. You know, well, we can, but now, I, I, and this is a council member, this is kind of why, I, the reason I wanted to have this training prior to having the meeting, because now I have a better understanding of what I can say in the meeting or how it should be conducted. It's not a session to come in to, for confusion, you know, thank God we ain't no church people. We ain't coming to have a church mess. <laughs> you know, we, we, we coming to discuss some business and uh, see how effective we can be in it and move forward. And a lot of these things that you presented to us today, I was not knowledgeable of, of uh, I would say, 90% of it. Okay, attorney? I just wanted to... Um talk about the, what a project is because it talks about projects or programs and expenditures have to go to council and sometimes there's confusion. I think sometimes a lot of people think if they're not spending money you don't have to go to council and, and it's just confusion on that issue. Could you kind of, I think it's in 5073 or something like that, that all projects, all programs and expenditures have to go before council? and maybe kind of give us a definition. For example, even the filing of a legal document, acceptance of title to a property, you know, they can't just, if you could elaborate on that real briefly. With regards to that, um, again, in my review of these bylaws, the council not just only approves projects and programs, but also contracts. In my opinion, almost any document needing board approval, EDC board approval would also need city council approval, the way your bylaws are currently written. Projects and programs with regards to those items, if the EDC is expending any dollar on issues, and again, you can make the definition, <clears throat> and that's probably one of the recommendations I would make is to define programs and projects in your bylaws? Because right now, the question is, does that mean we have to bring everything and anything to the council 
that we identify or that someone could argue is a project or a program. Um, programs to me is much more long-term. Projects can be both short-term or long-term. Um, clearly, anything long-term that's identified as a long-term goal for that EDC should be approved by your city council. Um, the quarterly reports and so forth would identify both short-term projects and programs. Those things, again, anything that that board is discussing, I mean, that's going to require the expenditure of dollars, the expenditure of time should be coming to the board. I mean, it should be coming to the council. Now, again, without those clear definitions of what projects and programs that you're wanting for the council to approve, I would not, again, I would remove the approval of any administrative contracts. Again, the printing printer or the paper or supplies for the EDC, those things are, can be approved by the annual budget and should, those types of contracts should not have to come to the council. But if they're expending dollars to uh, attract a business to come in or w wanting to, you know, identify a, a program that they're wanting to move forward with that will require substantial time or substantial dollars, those are the types of things that the council should be approving. Come back up. Well, I don't know what your mic is. Rolls and L. Petrie. Okay. Let's say someone wants to put a business in the business part, business part. Um, from the time we receive their letter of intent, should not council receive that same letter of intent? For example, businesses come to us all the time, and we have a meeting and decide whether or not we want to do business with them. The way I'm understanding what you're saying is, council should be receiving that information too, because it's almost like we're filtering it, and council don't even see any of the intent. The only time they see anything is when we approve it on our end, and then they get it to approve it. But from what I read, in your information, by the way, which is some great information, and you answered a lot, thank you. And um, um, I think, just my personal opinion, council need to see all that information. Because council is gonna be the one ultimately approving it anyway. And there need to be more transparency and more communication between the city council and, and the board. And, and, and that's why I think the quarterly Reports. Now, I'm not saying a quarterly workshop between the council and the EDC. What I'm talking about, when I'm talking quarterly reports, where the EDC chair and the EDC executive director come to the full city council and executive session and provide them a quarterly report as to the projects and businesses that have come forward to them, just in case the city manager or the mayor did not receive that same letter of intent, the EDC chair and the executive director are coming quarterly to your city council to let them know, hey, these are the new folks that have contacted us, these are the projects we're still working on, and here's the status of these other issues. Yeah. By having those quarterly meetings, you're having that communication, but you're not being required to have joint uh, meetings. 
Attorney, I a, oh, I was just going to say, and we do get the letters of intent. That, we yeah, do. It's, it's given to each council member. Yes. I don't know if you Since I've been they, here in 2015, them, yeah, they we, give a copy. we've we always gotten them. Copy. I've never had a minute not, that we have not gotten executive session where we have not gotten an intent for any company that's coming here. We always, we've always been updated when they first hit. Um, and and there it's intended, so I, I don't remember that not happening okay. here at the city. Okay, uh, city manager, didn't you have something? Oh, uh, no, I, I'm good. I, Val Val cut me off when I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have, we got to silence uh, Val, Mike. Uh, but uh, I, to to be honest, we do get the the you know what's possibility that's going to happen in Port Arthur. So. Uh, but I, I want to also address that because I feel that, you know, if I have an appointee that's on the EDC board uh, and I communicate with mines, I'm pretty much on a daily basis. And some of the development opportunities that we have in Port Arthur, I'm shared with that. But to be honest, what uh, Councilwoman Moses has stated, that Bless we you. do have that opportunity. The manager does a very good job along with our city attorney providing us with information it may not be on black and white but we are told about opportunities that's coming to port arthur yeah and and i think it's very important that you do receive that but what i see the advantage of the quarterly meetings is you'll get the initial letter but then what happens and by you communicate with your edc board member at least you're knowing what's going on but that doesn't happen with every council member and that doesn't happen with every edc board member so by having the quarterly meetings where the EDC chair and the executive director are coming to report, you know about the initial offer letter, but now you know the status, what's the st what they're working on to bring that letter into reality. Look, can I, may I pivot back to one more question, Mr. Garza? Because um, I didn't get it answered. Um, just out of natural um, inquisition, uh, when we go, it says, um, Many imp individuals say when we were talking about uh, A or B, individuals have a tendency to look at a, a B EDC from my relational understanding with individuals that a B EDC is just an open spigot to spend money and distribute money willy-nilly. So let's say someone wanted to put a, um, just, I don't, this is not an actual, this is, you know, this is, this is not actually happening. But let's say someone wanted to put a water park on Pleasure Island, and they came, and they wanted to present that to our, our city. This public hearing process, it says it requires a public hearing process for approval to spend money. In that public hearing, that I, I hear hearing, I don't hear vote. Is, is, what's the difference there? Again, it would be require public hearing, but it would be the decision of both the EDC board and the city council to approve the use of those dollars for that water park if that was what is going to happen. But the public hearing gives the citizens the opportunity to communicate to the council, yay or nay, on those expenditures. But it's not a vote. It is not a vote of the citizens in that aspect of it. Like a referendum or no. not? not no. Okay. Okay. Uh, anything you want to do? Oh, okay, go ahead, uh, City Manager. Frank, um, on, in your presentation, there are two things that I take away from it. One is the need to have an agreement with the city 
and we did have that in the past. It was called um, administrative fees. It was part of the administrative mm -hmm. fees that the EDC provided to the city for services rendered by the finance department, for, for, by, by the HR department. But that disappeared somewhere along the line. I think um, we, well, council needs to reconsider that. And um, that will provide them with certain um, measures of guiding us and, um, as to what we can do and what we cannot do. And we'll remove the very blurred lines when we get into situations where um, some sort of um, disciplinary action arises where there's an HR matter a lot. So I, I think we need to consider that very closely. You know, um, if you can provide us with some sort of right. I, I recently sent Val a draft agreement that she can start looking at. We need to go back. Yeah, we need to go back to that. Very strongly, I would advise that. And the number two thing that we need to look at very closely is the need to continually, on an annual basis, as you stated, to review the bylaws of the EDC. Because as you stated, time changes. The economic situation changes. And so we have to roll with those changes in order that the organization remains relevant to the economic development of our city. And, and so I would strongly advise that we look at the bylaws as well of the, 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 of the EDC as it presently stands. Okay. Uh, go, go, go ahead. Just, uh, Val, I just want to make sure he, he said he provided you with the, um, a subject, like a, an agreement that we could use, enter in, in between I, I departments. Provided, yeah. And then also a personnel policy mm -hmm. that we can adopt. Uh, maybe a dummy format. Right, I'm working of, on that. that. I, I promised that I'd have it to her this week. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, count, go ahead. Yeah, just, just step up. If, come up. Just come up to the mic. If. I first want to apologize um, when I mentioned um, about the letter of intent. I wasn't aware of it. I'm glad if that's happening, great. I just wasn't aware of it. So I'm glad to hear that that is happening, okay? So I apologize for mis misspeaking on that. And I wanna totally agree with you, city manager. You, you hit it right on, on the head. Uh, that agreement needs to come back in some form or fashion. There's no way the city needs to be doing, providing these services. And they're not, the city's not being compensated. This last situation that had occurred, there was a lot of work that that legal department I know was involved in uh, with, with our attorney um, in trying to figure out what to do and things like that. But there were, and the finance department that y'all guys uh, do a lot of finance in our annual budgets and things like that, there need to be some compensation there or something. I don't know how, but that agreement, as the city manager stated, it, I, I can't believe it went away. It needs to come back. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Comments? I'd just like Go. to thank um, Mr. Frank Garza for coming. You've shed some clarity on a lot of things for us. I think several of us have served on EDC, Economic Development is where I started on that board. 
um, so as uh, Councilmember Holmes and Councilmember Mark. So that's an, uh, for me, I believe it's a privilege for us to have that kind of information on council, but you did shed quite a bit of light to a lot of questions. So I really appreciate you driving last night to get here for this morning. Thank Not you. Not a problem. Okay, anyone else? Councilman Frank, your light on? No, sir, it was just inadvertent. Okay. Well, uh, uh, Mayor, my light is on. Oh, oh it just came on. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mr. Garza, I just want to say thank you for the information I did serve on EDC, actually as its chair for three years. And a lot of the things you shared I was very aware of and had gone through training before, but you did clarify some of the things that have come up recently. Um, and so I truly appreciate you doing that, and thank you for being here and driving to give us all that information. Mr. Mayor? Okay, uh, Dr. Kenlaw? Oh. My light is on now. Oh, it sure okay. is? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but Dr. Kenlaw's uh, light came on before yours. <laughs> hey, don't do my frat brother like that. <laughs> um, um, dang, that almost got me. Uh, but thank you. Uh, to get the clarity of what you suggested in the, the, your presentation, I'm, you know, I was one of those ones that benefited from it. Uh, to know the relationship and building a relationship with our current EDC is what we need to do. I think your information and, and working with our city attorney to provide that is going to make our relationship a lot better with our current EDC. So personally, I would like to thank you and your presentation for today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Council, uh, Mayor Potem. Yes, thank you uh, for coming, but I want to thank our attorney uh, as well. Uh, she was persistent, uh, worked to coordinate, and did everything that was uh, necessary to get you here and, and to get all these uh, stray cats going in the same direction. So we appreciate it so much. Thank you, Val. Appreciate staff and all of us. I, I use the analogy because, you know, sheep you can guide, but stray cats go different directions. <laughs> so, so that's all. That, that didn't, don't take it personally. <laughs> thank you, sir. Oh, and let me thank uh, all of our appointees as well. I want to thank my appointee for being here and all the other appointees who give of their time, uh, who give of their time and their talents uh, to do that. And I look forward to the great things that we're going to do here in Port Arthur. And uh, finally, uh, uh, Attorney Garza, I, I'm, uh, I've been trying to meet you for two and a half years, <laughs> man. Okay? And the attorney knows that I've been asking for this. And, uh, you know, if you pray hard and long enough, you get it. <laughs> and so it happened. You came on a bad day. It's my birthday. I did not want to spend well, my birthday, birthday with you. <laughs> I have, uh, it's beneficial to me. Now, if you've had this great, greater number of birthdays, yeah, it didn't matter. Okay, so I'm, I'm good because I learned something today on my birthday with this new task that God has given me. So uh, you, you've been real beneficial to me uh, with this and to, I think to everyone else who's here. Uh, to the board members who are present, uh, we have the assistant director here. We have uh, our other city attorneys in, in the house. Uh, we even have two of our uh, assistant city managers here. And I think you delivered this information to a, a, a real good audience that actually can use the information in a very positive way. Uh, I'm, I'm more than sure that we will probably be calling on you again. Don't take so long uh, and be so important to all the other people that put off the, you know, you put me on the back burner. I'm just messing with you. But, no, we understand it because 
she was trying to get you on yesterday. I'm messing with you again because that's what I wanted. Right. It really, you know, I wouldn't have to come today. But you couldn't get here, and we knew and understood that we appreciate all that you have done. You've assisted before, uh, and I appreciate today for sure the, the, the dissemination of the information that you've given on the day and the simplicity and the simplistic way that you actually delivered it. You know, that, that we could actually understand it and even be able to apply it now going forward. Uh, I look forward to tomorrow when we are able to meet with the, uh, with, with the, with the board in a session. And uh, I don't know, but it wasn't that our director could, didn't want to be here. He had a, a medical situation that he had to attend to today, so he could not be here today. Or, uh, but I'm glad that I, I received this information. And so we know how to go forward and, and be the, 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 the best servants, public servants, I believe, that we would want to be. And it's, it's very hard to be a good servant if you don't have the information as to how you're supposed to be serving. So you are you assisted me and the others. We certainly appreciate it. Well, Mayor and Council, I want to thank you. I want to thank uh, Mr. Burton and and, uh, and Val Valerie for the assistance, or Alicia for the assistance, and uh, I'm more than willing to help any way I can in the future. I'm uh, I have a meeting tomorrow morning, but as soon as that meeting's over, with I'm probably going to get online to see how the joint workshop goes. Yep. We appreciate you, and with that being said, uh, and this is the training, I'm ready to, uh, unless my attorney tells me something differently, I'm ready to uh, entertain a motion for adjournment. I'll make a motion, Mayor. Okay, thank you. We get a second, uh, Councilwoman, uh, Councilwoman Holmes. So moved, Mayor. I saw your light. You saw my light. Thank I you saw for your seeing light. my okay. light. <laughs> so, look, we're glad, uh, uh, we are, are we ready for question on this? All in favor? Aye. Any opposers, you may stay. <laughs> the meeting is over. Thank you all.